Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. This episode of Gators Breakdown is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC, and join me for this episode, as he will every week, uh, is Will Miles, co-host here, and you can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. So Will got uh, you know surprise appearance from Bill yesterday, and of course you know you're going to join me for our normal Monday. It is Labor Day, so we're recording early, so we can watch FSU Virginia Tech tonight. Uh, uh, get that going as well. But uh, got Bill's thoughts yesterday. We'll turn around and get your thoughts today, but uh, all in all, everything was good in Gainesville Saturday night. Yeah, Bill took all my thunder, came over here and uh, (laughs) laid on all the positives and gave me a day to watch the film. And so, uh, you know, if if I come off as as critical, that's just because I'm trying to give people information, not because I am critical of the team. And in fact, if you head over to the site, you can see what I wrote right after the game, um, talking about how Dan Mullen and the team really delivered in this game and and did about as best as we could have hoped they would have um, in the first game of his era. Yeah, head to readreaction.com to read Will's thoughts and uh, get everything that – Pretty positive, pretty good spin, pretty good talk on uh, the Gators and the 53-6 to win over Charleston Southern. Uh, so what we'll kind of do with uh, Will here, we'll look back at that game a little bit more and also preview upcoming game with Kentucky coming up uh, this Saturday in the Swamp and another night game. So fans, uh, all day to tailgate Will and, and, and get rowdy and crazy. <laughs> well, those are, the, those are the fun ones. I mean, there was nothing better than this, as a student going out after a win late, late, late at night. I, I never liked waiting after the 3.30 game and then having to go out. It's like, go to the bar right after the game. That's a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. especially after wins. So hopefully uh, that's what they'll be doing Saturday night around 11, 11.30, somewhere around there. Uh, all excited after a, another win over Kentucky, hopefully. So here we go. Remember, you can find... All your Gators Breakdown episodes on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, you can listen on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version, or you can join us live like many of you doing right now. When using those services, please share, rate, review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators 
breakdown. So we'll also on, on this Monday, Mullen, even though it is Labor Day, had his normal press conference here and you know, kind of speaking to some things that we've well we've already spoken about and you know confidence was it was a big thing we talked about it felipe franks i think it kind of showed uh mullen and some of the plays that were called and you know in goal line to go situations as well you know given you know trying to, i think you know instill some confidence in felipe franks there was plenty of times they could have pounded the ball in there in those goal to go situations uh you know franks threw it it could have been the read it could have been the play call either way you know franks was throwing the ball in the end zone and they were just weren't trying to pound the ball over and over again so, you know, and Mullen, the, the quote was he hopes that, that the guys are confident in the, also the preparation and the expectations from the staff. And I think through game one, we saw that the preparation and the expectations may be a little bit different than what we're used to. Yeah, that may be true. I mean, I, I think, you know, everything that we'll talk about, just like it was yesterday with Bill, has the caveat of this was a game against Charleston Southern and, and that we do need to take that into account. But certainly it also felt differently, um, particularly, you know, I, I had mentioned tempo. That's one of the positives that I take away from this game. I mean, it was very, very apparent early on. The funny part is when you go back and rewatch that first quarter, there are a lot of things that are missed, a lot of missed blocks, a lot of bad pass protection, a lot of um, missed receivers, things like that. But the tempo was still really, really quick quick. So they went at about 21 seconds per play. Um, and it didn't slow down until the second half when they were just trying to end the game and get out of it without an injury. Um, you know, so being able to do it that quickly, having the ball snapped with 20 seconds left on the clock, um, really sort of executing some of the things we've heard them talk about from a tempo perspective, I think is it was good to hear it was good to hear something executed that had been talked about, that they were working on it in practice and to see it and to see the, the players come out and execute that um, was, was really good to see. And I think speaks positively to this coaching staff. You know, one of the words I threw out there, you know, Saturday night and the more thinking about it was, was just the word clean. And a lot of the tempo uh, speaks to that. There didn't seem to be a lot of confusion. And that's another thing I liked about seeing the tempo that you speak of is because Look, we heard time and time again, Mullen spoke about it, Hevesy spoke about it. Going into this game, the offensive line had some had trouble keeping up with the tempo. You know, you were hoping to see Felipe Franks being able to handle that, get the plays in, call the right plays, uh, know where to go with the ball. And it seemed just as far as tempo goes that at least the process seems a little cleaner. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. I, I think one of the things that was interesting is that thing. So part of that cleanliness was simplicity. So there were a lot of the same plays called over and over and over again until they executed it. In fact, the first play, or not the first play of the game, I guess it was the second play of the game, Franks didn't pull the trigger and he had a guy open and they came back to it on the very next play and made him do it again. And they went to that play probably five or six times. And then in fact, they they then off of that built a stop and go for a wide receiver that was open to Dre Massey and Franks overshot him, but it was the same general play call that they just built a little bit of a, a little bit of a wrinkle to, and all of a sudden it becomes a, or has the potential to become a big play. Those are things where it's a pretty simple read for the quarterback. He's looking out there. He knows he's got one-on-one -on -one coverage. He knows to hand the ball off. If the, uh, if the linebacker and the safety crash, he knows to pull it and throw it to the wide receiver if that doesn't happen. And so, I think simplicity allows it to be clean. And, you know, to that point as well, penalties was some 
something else that I had looked at and said is something to watch early um, and really to watch throughout the entire game. They had three penalties for 20 yards in the entire game, and they had zero penalties in the first quarter. And, you know, considering that, uh, you know, we were sort of false start, false start university last year, I mean, it was great to see. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism on, on Twitter over the last day or so about the offensive line. But I think if you're going to look at a place where the offensive line significantly improved, one false start. I'm not sure there was a game last year where there weren't three or four um, just sort of baked into the game. <laughs> you know, you sort of knew you were getting that coming in and, and to see you know, only the one false start. And granted, it was down on the goal line, and that's not a place where you'd like it, but it was also on a tight end. It wasn't on the offensive line. So the offensive line didn't have a false start the entire game. I think that's reflective of the coaching staff. I think that's reflective of discipline, and I think that's a really good thing to see. Uh, well, I'll go uh, I'll go, go here later, but you, you brought up offensive line, and Dan Mullen at, at the press conference was asked about some things he'd like to see a little better here. And it was, quote, you know, run the ball cleaner, and he spoke to the uh, offensive line about technique and execution, you know, not stretching, not holding blocks long enough. Uh, and our good friend Thomas Goldcamp, uh, he, he, you know, he's thrown some stuff out there. Of, uh, and, and one play in particular of Martez Ivy, you know, getting in position but not necessarily, you know, uh, attempting a block, getting there, not holding a block. But, you know, Mullen says these are little things that are, that are not uncommon, and but they've also looked good in practice on here, but still got to execute on uh, on game day. So it looks like they know what to do, where to go, but just some lack of, ex- lack of execution right now. Yeah, there was some of that. And I think, you know, some of the things that have shown up on Twitter, I think are more of a lack of, lack of confidence and maybe lack of uh, – not understanding the game plan, but a lack of confidence in your ability to know the game plan, um, those sorts of things. I I think, you know, the, the clips you're talking about in particularly include, or in particular include Martez Ivy. He's not the only guy who missed blocks. Yeah. And the thing about him is he gets pointed out a lot because, you know, he came in as this five-star recruit and just really hasn't lived up to the billing so far, but look, this is only one game, you know, hopefully all turned around as the season goes on, but I think that's why he gets pointed out a lot. Yeah, I mean, and there were instances when you're watching where Florida clearly went max protect because they knew they wanted to give Franks, um, they knew they wanted to give Franks time, and I'm not sure they had confidence that they were going to be able to do it without going max protect. Again, Franks had nice pockets for some of those deep throws, but there was one deep throw in particular where he missed it to Van Jefferson, I think, deep, and mm-hmm. and he could have let him a little bit better, but Jefferson had three guys on him, and that was because it was a two-man route, and a two-man route, I think, against a six-man front, so <laughs> there were a lot of guys that uncovered. And, and, you know, you're not going to be able to get away with that against some of the better teams in the SEC. But, um, again, I think one of the ideas for for Mullen, one of the things he's going to have to do is the offensive line is not the strength of the offense. The playmakers are. Um, and he's going to – and we've talked extensively about um, doing, what doing what your quarterback does well and putting him in a position to succeed. I think the same thing applies to the offensive line. The only thing we can really ask of them, like I can't, I don't know that we can ask them to be all of a sudden be maulers that they haven't been for the last three years. I think what we can ask of them is that they play disciplined football. So they know their assignments, they trust each other, that they, um, that, you know, maybe they get beat physically, but they don't get beat mentally. And then that they don't do stupid things like get penalties, uh, you know, false start penalties and personal foul penalties when they sort of go back and forth, those sorts of things. I think that's sort of the expectation, or at least it's the expectation I have of the offensive line. I think they're going to get beat physically from time to time. I think every offensive lineman gets beat physically from time to time. And to pick out one or two plays isn't really fair. Now, what you can do is you can go and you can look at the running game and say, um, there were a few plays, one in particular, I think, where, um, Malik Davis turned a 
a play where he probably should have gotten hit in the backfield and turned it into like a 20 or a 30 yard run. And you look at the average for the, for the rushing, it's right around five and a half yards of carry and you go, Oh, the offensive line didn't perform too poorly, but, um, against a team like Charleston Southern, um, you would expect them to be able to run the ball better, particularly in the second half when they were trying to end the game um, or at least trying to take control of the game. They weren't able to do that, and I think that is reflective of where the team is at this point. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's just it is what it is, and it's what we should expect. A couple of things there where you brought up Malik Davis in that, that play where he made something out of you know the offense line didn't help him out a whole lot. But look, that was one reason we – you and I have uh, have kind of harped on Malik Davis and the type of player he is because we saw a lot of that last year. And, uh, you know, it, a lot of other these, a lot of these other running backs can't take advantage of when the offensive line doesn't do its best blocking. You know, they're they they're kind of more reliant on the offensive line, but not so much Malik Davis. And it was he did start a little slow, you think, and uh, I think or we know, and I think it had a lot to do with you know just being out there, being off the injury. He took him a little while to get up to game speed. Uh, Dan Mullen spoke to it as well. You know, get, getting hit was a big moment for Mullen. Uh, see, with Malik Davis. Mullen said he saw him cut all camp, but wondered how he'd respond uh, to being hit in that area down there. And Davis bounced up and looked good. So, you know, taking the, the injury into account, but also that, that one run that you spoke of, the offensive line didn't give uh, the best blocking, but it was still another run that Davis just uh, took advantage of the situation. Yeah, I mean, Davis, I thought, looked really good. I thought Scarlett looked a little bit tentative early on, yeah. um, particularly I think there was like a five-yard run where if he just buried his head, he got the first down, and instead he <laughs> kind of tried to dance yeah. around. Um, that was right, again, before the, right before the fourth and one. They wouldn't have to, they would have to go for it on fourth and one. But he converted the fourth and one, and, yes. and I think I think what we're going to find is that it's a little bit of a feeling out process with the offense. It's a little bit, yeah. you know, these guys, these guys aren't, they aren't completely comfortable, and so they're not going 100 miles an hour. You know, when you've got that little bit of doubt in the back of your mind, you, you go 80 or 85 just in case. And as they start to trust themselves within the system, I think, you know, just like people, you always hear analysts talk about the game slowing down for quarter. Backs. I think the same thing applies to the running backs. Same thing applies to the offensive line. So Scarlett hasn't played a game in like a year and a half. And then you go back and, and um, you know, Frank's obviously struggled last year. So you hope the game slows down for him. I think the same thing applies for the offensive line. And the, the one thing I would say, you know, if you were going to say what's your ultimate positive from the game, mm -hmm. I would say it's that even when mistakes were made, players on the field picked the guys up. So after the false start down in the red zone, Frank's made two perfect passes, actually. One that was in Van Jefferson's hands on a fade route. The defensive back made a really nice play to knock the ball out, but it was a gorgeous throw. Mm -hmm. And then the next one where he hit uh, where he hit uh, Hammond that in the back of the end zone, again, it's, it's a throw that last year, I don't know that he puts in the right place. I think maybe he leaves it behind him or he throws it too high because he's afraid of making a mistake. He put it right on the numbers and it was an easy touchdown and it was one-on-one -on -one coverage and that was right where he had to go with the ball. So Frank's picking up his tight end who had the false start. There was, uh, you know, there was another play later on where, uh, um, you know, just multiple examples in the game where where guys were picking up other guys, and you're gonna, they're going to have to do that because mistakes are made with every team, even Alabama. Now, obviously, Alabama do doesn't make them quite at the rate of some other teams, but you know, if you watch if you watch that game at all, Tua was scrambling around all over the place, um, and it, and it's not as if Louisville has this uh, lights out defense, and so um, you know, mistakes are made. You're going to have to have the the players are going to have to pick each other up when a mistake is made, and Florida was able to do that the other night. Well, you in your article you pointed out uh, a lot of what uh, a lot of good 
Uh, Felipe Franks did, you know, finish 16 to 24, 219 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, you know, did get off to that slow start. It was one time, three of nine for 88 yards and a, and a touchdown. Like I said, he added four more. Uh, went on the tear, 13 to 15 for 131 yards and four more touchdowns uh, after that slow start. And he completed his last eight attempts. Uh, so, uh, Mullen was asked about you know Frank's performance. Of course, we all knew he would be on uh, on Monday. And uh, Mullen, you know, says you know, you have to really go back and, and and you know the coaches look at it much different than we do, and they have a lot more uh, at their disposal to look at as well. Uh, but Frank's uh, Mullen says Frank's didn't uh, make the wrong read, but only one time. May have could have made better decisions on some plays, but only one bad decision. Yeah, I, I thought he. I thought he usually went to the right place. So I went back and I looked at all of his throws last night and I thought he usually went to the right place. I thought sometimes his decision-making was delayed. So the one, the one play in particular that I'm thinking about is the, is the pass. I think it was on the first drive down the middle to Raymond where Raymond leaped it hit him in the hands. He probably should have made the catch. That ball was late. Mm -hmm. And so if he'd let him down the field, so he had to sort of loft it up, so that the safety couldn't come over and lay out Raymond, and it made it a more difficult catch. If he did, if if Raymond, if he'd led Raymond a little bit more across the field and thrown a little bit earlier, I think that ball ends up being a much easier catch and you know a much easier catch and throw, and, and Raymond's running right into the end zone. So things like that, where it was just a little bit late. Now last year, you know, the ball just didn't come out, and I <laughs> I think so. It's it's a step forward, but I do think that's something that we're going to need to look at as 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 the as the season moves on, is that if he continues to be late, there are going to be cornerbacks who can jump on things that have a whole lot more skill than Charleston Southern, and, and he's going to pay for that. All right, well uh, let's move to the uh, other side of the ball. There we we have hit that enough. And another thing Mullen was asked about and says that must be cleaned up is the team must tackle better. Uh, and you know of course. Uh, you know, when you play Charleston Southern and teams that run it that much, you're going to have to tackle better. And, you know, the defense started out really, really, really good. And they gave up the one big play before halftime, uh, blocked, the, um, blocked the field goal to, to preserve the shutout uh, in the first half. And then in, in the second half, you know, a lot of backups come in, a lot of guys who haven't played before, some true freshmen there. Uh, and then, you know, kind of the floodgates open for Charleston Southern being able to take advantage uh, of uh, of the Gators there. But, you know, first of all, with the, the starters are on the field, look good, but it definitely a fall off after the starters came off the field. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I looked at the yards per play at the half for Florida. They gave up 3.8. And the yards per play for the game, they gave up 3.8. So I, I think the defense kind of played equivalent mm. in, the, in the first half and the second half in terms of yards per play. Uh, they gave up a lot more but obviously that includes the 70 yard run as well. Yeah. That sort of adds to that. I, I mean, the defense played great for the first five or six drives, obviously. I think um, it was three you know, and it was, out on the first six drives. I think well, there was, there was a four and out in there too. That's so. right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, you know, whenever you stop someone six straight times, there's not a whole lot to complain about. I would say though, that they gave up, I think 222 yards, the entire game. Almost all of that was on the ground. Mm -hmm. They gave up over an average of five yards per rush. Um, the 70-yard run actually came on a play where Slayton was in perfect position. I think it was Slayton hit the running back, and he just sort of bounced off and kept going. And and a lot of other guys weren't in position on that one, though. <laughs> well, that is true. But when you're, you know, this is what I'm sort of talking about about picking it up, right? When you're in the position to make the play, you got to make the play because you you're you know you're never it's never certain that there's going to be three guys behind you who all did the right thing too. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I don't think you can complain at all about the pass defense, but the pass defense was something that, that Florida struggled with last year. It's not something we were going to learn anything about with Charleston Southern. 
if the pass defense has taken a major step forward, if this is an indication that the pass defense has taken a major step forward, I think they'll do better in the run game. Um, I think especially, to your point, in the second half, they sort of called off the dogs and, and were out there quite a bit on the field in the yeah. second half. Um, so... You know, but that is my concern. The reason I picked Florida to be seven and five to start the season was not because of the offense. The reason I picked them to be seven and five is because of the defense. That was, you know, I just I wasn't sure that both the defense and the offense could improve enough quickly enough to where to where Florida would be able to to overcome that. And so if the if the defense is average at stopping the run, they're gonna be real there's gonna be real hell to pay against teams like Mississippi State and Georgia and stuff like that. But um, you know, again, I the caveat is that you're facing Charleston Southern. How much of it is real? Um, and I think that applies for the good and the bad, and we just need to understand that. Yep, talking about the the good, Will, and I wanted to get your thoughts on him. From the very first snap of defense, you know, Chauncey Gardner's in the backfield with a sack. Uh, we had heard they were going to use him like that, and he's in the star position. But uh, I do find it interesting that we're going to, you know, from the very first play, that's the, you know, the, the play they draw up. And, you know, Charleston Southern's a run team, and it was a perfect call at the perfect time because, you know, a sack on the very first place. So uh, I like the way it worked out there and and, 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 and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson being able to, to come off uh, of his nickel position and go and get a sack on the first play of the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought one of the things that, you know, obviously a hallmark of Grantham's defense is he's going to be aggressive. Sometimes that causes problems because when you're aggressive, you leave you leave things open on the back end. But I, mean, I, I think some of the issues that, Gardner Johnson had with tackling last year may end up being a benefit for him this year mm-hmm. in that he had the opportunity to sort of um, to experience that and and get better at it as the year went on. He definitely got better tackling as the year went on. And now you're putting him in a position where he's going to do what he does best from a covering perspective, but now you're going to bring him from all over the field, bring him into the backfield, and he's going to be able to use that new skill that he's learned over the last year to benefit things. Florida's defense as a whole brought quite a bit of pressure. So, so I usually look at to measure explosiveness, I look at tackles for loss as a ratio of total tackles, and I look at sacks as a ratio of total tackles. Last year, Florida was at just over 3% in terms of sacks per total tackles. The other day, they were 4.5%. And last year, they were under 10% in terms of tackles for loss. And the other day against Charleston Southern, they were 11.8%. So they were in the backfield. You know, those are better than those are better numbers than Alabama had last year over the entire season. So they were in the backfield quite a bit. They were causing havoc quite a bit. They also gave up a few big plays, which is also a, a hallmark of a Grantham defense, um, particularly one where not everybody necessarily is comfortable with their assignments. I think it's the same thing I said with the offensive line. We have to expect that the defense is going to get out of alignment from time to time because they're young and because it's a new system. And, and the same thing applies for both sides of the ball. And um, overall, I thought Gardner Johnson was clearly the best player on the field um, on the defensive side of the ball. He was clearly the guy that they had focused on figuring out a way to use in a in a better way than Florida did last year. And and I think he is really he's the key to that defense, both from a skill perspective, but also because he can cover and he can tackle at least acceptably enough to where you can leave him in as one of those linebackers in the three, four system. And you don't have to always be running on a guy when it's a run play and then running off a guy when it's a pass play, you can just leave Gardner in there the whole time. And, uh, and I think that'll really bode well for Florida as the season moves on. Well, one thing you spoke to in in, uh, previewing the season with Dan Mullen and, uh, you know, speaking to the word competition uh, and how it's going to play a part and plays a part in, in, in the program and in every which way possible, 
Uh, and Damian Pierce earned himself board carries because of what he did on special teams and uh, the, you know, the bone crushing hit he had on, on kickoff coverage. And look that uh, uh, Trey Knox went to Dan Mullen. And then I, I believe the story I heard is, you know, asked for, you know, with, with that play, get Pearson more uh, carries because, you know, I'll reward for doing something on special teams. Uh, look, the competition is going to matter in every phase of the game there. And Pierce definitely earned himself some carries by, by you know, by being a, a force on special teams. Uh, you know, it just speaks to, you know, the everything we heard about special teams coming in, being a big part of it. You know, you give up some big plays. Uh, you return that with a, a block field goal and then give up a touchdown. You get a block extra point. Pearson to hit there so you know it's not just lip service when it comes to special teams no I mean it's great to hear that that's what they're doing it was great to see the special teams become a force because now that's something that now that's something that other teams are going to have to prepare for whether whether Florida blocks another kick this year or not that's something that the opposition is going to have to spend some time making sure that they're repping making sure that they're looking at and making sure that they're prepared for maybe some sort of fake or some sort of razzle dazzle on the offensive side when Florida has an opportunity and that was certainly something that Urban Meyer took advantage of when he was here um, and that's something I think that we might see from Dan Mullen moving forward the the thing that I saw was on kickoff cover that made me smile was on kickoff coverage Jordan Scarlet was on kickoff coverage. And the message there is clearly that even if you're a starting player, you're going to play on special teams because special teams are important. They're not like for the third class citizens of the team. They're not for the guys that we can't afford to not have get hurt. We're going to have everybody out there because it's just as important as everything else. And I think the way the team celebrated after the block field goal of the first half indicated that that message has gotten across, right? That they understood that the block kick was probably the thing that they were going <laughs> to, that they might have gotten out of some running <laughs> this week by having a block kick. And, uh, you know, they were really excited for it. You could tell it almost felt like they blocked a kick to win the game or something the way they yeah. were celebrating on the sidelines. And, you know, again, is that a good thing or a bad thing when you're playing Charleston Southern? I think if you're a Florida State fan, you probably look at it and go, geez, they're celebrating like they just won the championship. I think if you're a Florida fan, you like celebrate all you want because yeah. I haven't seen a block kick in like a decade. So, um, hey, at the know. time, it was to preserve a shutout that was going on. So, you know, it was there, there, was, there, was, there were some big things at the time going on in that game. Well, and you got to find motivation beyond the score at that point. I mean, once yeah. you're once you're at thirty-eight nothing, the game's over. Yeah. And so, and so, how are you going to motivate yourself? How are you going to push yourself through? And that's one of the things that I'm sure they had up on the chalkboard heading into the game was we want to block a kick, yeah. and that we're going to block a kick, and that the guy who gets the block is going to get some benefits this week um, because you know we want to make sure that everyone understands that this is a huge priority for the team. And so, again, I think it's a great thing to see that special teams are becoming a priority. I think it's great to see that the starters and that the starters are being asked to participate in that. And I think it's a great thing to see that people are getting playing time when they excel in that unit, uh, because it's just as important, or at least can be just as game changing as ripping off a 70 yard run. I mean, you know, if they block, a, if they block a kick against Georgia, it could completely change the complexion of the game. And I, and I think that's where it really becomes important. And I think Mullen said it best in his presser on, on Monday as well, saying, uh, talking about special teams here is he, if I showed that I care about them, their players will care about them. And, you know, and that's not necessarily uh, a shot at previous regimes or anything like that, but you know, we know they weren't uh, highly thought of uh, going back and looking at spring practice and, and fall camp and, you know, how Dan Mullen starts every practice with pump block drills and 
you know, kickoff coverage blocks and how, how that goes. And, you know, we didn't see any of that uh, under the previous regime. And I think Mullen coming here right away and making that uh, a priority uh, really, really, really speaks volume. And, uh, look, it's another chance for fun on the field, too. Uh, as you said, as you mentioned, Will, you, they blocked and you know, the way they reacted, they were having some fun uh, out there after that blocked field goal. Uh, Will, I, I brought up this yesterday as well. Uh, I had my biggest surprise, and of course, it, it was Felipe Franks for me. It doesn't necessarily have to be a player for you, but was uh, was there a surprise for you uh, with the fifty-three to six win against Charleston Southern? I, I would say my surprise was how much the offense struggled once Franks came off the field, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I was really expecting them to give Trask the opportunity to chuck the ball around. Now, obviously, his first snap I think was right over his head, and they had a loss of fifteen or twenty yards. But you know. At some point over the last decade, Florida has always needed their backup quarterback. That was an opportunity, I thought, to get him some reps. And and to be honest, didn't look great. Um, so on the negative side, I guess that's probably the thing that was the biggest surprise to me. On the positive side, I would say the biggest, um, the biggest surprise to me was the attention to detail on executing the blocks at the wide receiver position. I thought that they were excellent in terms of getting to where they needed to get and turning the guys in the right direction. So if we go back to RJ Raymond, right after he missed that ball down the center of the field, he was coming over in motion. He had to get to the outside receiver in order to give Trevon Grimes a path on the outside to get down to the touchdown on that little swing screen. He got there, he turned him back towards the inside, and he got in the way of the other corner as well. And that's mm-hmm. why Grimes scored the touchdown. Now, obviously, Grimes is six foot five. He's really, <laughs> really fast, and that helps. But Raymond is the guy who's responsible for that touchdown. And I thought that when you when you go and you look at the tape, the wide receivers did a really good job of of engaging the blocks when they had an opportunity to do so. And every screen that they threw, I never felt like there was a screen that went out there where the running back of the wide receiver caught it and he was immediately having to deal with getting hit. And now again, part of that is who they're playing, but I can, I can, I can't remember a screen last year where Florida threw it, where the running back didn't have to make a juke, like the minute he caught the ball. And the reason that that was happening is because the wide receivers weren't doing a very good job of blocking. And I think they did an excellent job the other day. And I think that if that continues, the offense is going to continue to put up much better numbers than last year, just because it's a whole lot easier to deal with second and five than it is to deal with second and 11. And those little swing passes, you know, you'll lose a yard or two if you don't execute the blocks properly. I think they did that well the other day. Yeah, I kind of went to one of my surprises uh, of yesterday, too, is in just how much Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes made an impact there in, in game one because in the past we've heard about these transfer wide receivers and uh, we thought we'd be able to count on them uh, and haven't seen much from them. But in game one, you know, Jefferson and Grimes have already, have already made impacts and especially impacts in the end zone. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was great to see. Yeah. Clearly, clearly Jefferson – was an area of focus and that was what we'd heard in camp all all uh all off season but again we've we've heard stuff in camp for the last three seasons mm-hmm. and it turned out to not be true <laughs> so it was kind of nice to see things that we had heard from the camp and obviously some of the camp practices were open um and so i think there was a little bit more confidence in terms of right. that what the coaches were saying was actually what was happening um and you know you don't necessarily have to hide that van jefferson's a good player everyone's seen his film from from old miss and knows he's a pretty good player the question is is he going to take a step forward from the player that he was at old miss and really be sort of that go-to number one guy or is he more of a possession receiver who's going to average 10 yards a catch and, and that's and that's what he's going to be and, and we'll see what happens as the season moves on but he definitely looked like the number one option they went to him on those little slants um and and the fade that i mentioned 
mentioned earlier when they Wait, were down you, in the did red. You, did you say the word slants? <laughs> what are those? They threw a couple last year. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I, I remember you and I texting each other when we were both in the stadium against Tennessee <laughs> when they threw the one slant or we're both slant. So um Yes, yes. They when they got one on one coverage on the outside, they actually threw a slant. So it's good to see. But uh, again, some of that goes back to the simplicity of the offense because mm-hmm. Frank's because Frank's ran pretty well. So he had six point eight yards per rush. There were multiple. That wasn't like he ripped off one thirty yard run and then got sacked three times. That was you know he he had five or six runs that were six seven eight yards. Um, you know, because he was averaging 6.8 yards per rush, the defense had to respect it. They also had to respect the running back, and then that just left the the slants open. It held the safety long enough to leave that throw open, whereas last year the safety was able to sort of jump the lane or at least had an opportunity to. So, um, yeah, I, I think I wrote this in my article. I think it's true. I think there are definitely things to work on. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's clear. Mullen said it right after the game when they interviewed him was that there were things that they needed to improve on. I don't think anybody's saying that's not the case. But I think when you look at where the team was, the problems with the team last year, some of those problems, you know, the penalties, the tempo, all that sort of stuff have, have already been resolved in game one. Now we'll see what happens when they run into some adversity, whether that's next week against Kentucky or whether that's when they go on the road. But um, you know, when they hit adversity, do they still keep that tempo? Do they still do they still stay poised? All those sorts of things. It'll be interesting to see what happens when that when when the hard times hit. All right, and uh, we'll get in kind of the uh, of the outlook. I, I posed a question to to fans out there and listeners out there what their outlook uh, does the outlook change uh, for this uh, after the first game of the season, uh, and also we'll give a quick preview of Kentucky um, uh, in, in this episode. But before we do that. You guys, uh, you know, ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me for advice, and usually it's what team to bet on this week. Uh, truth is, I don't really know who's going to win, but if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I tell people to go bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews, and an easy-to-use mobile site. So go lay down some cash and win big today. Hey, look, I only recommend a service to my listeners. That's been good to me. That's why I urge you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. My bookie has in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, when NFL season kicks off, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So join my bookie now, and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. My bookie online today, that's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, mybookie.ag, and don't forget to use the promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. The will uh, uh, also, hey, there's a Gator Breakdown merchandise site out there right now on squadlocker.com. Just go to squadlocker.com and search Gators Breakdown. You get the score there. Uh, get the uh, the store there, and uh, right now Labor Day. If you go uh, before midnight on Labor Day, use the promo code Labor Day, and they can get fifteen percent off. Hey man, I, I wore my hat today to make sure that Bill stays jealous since he hasn't got <laughs> his yet. But uh, I'll be heading over there. I'm I'm excited about the Nike hats you got available and all that sort of stuff. And might have some read and reaction stuff up in the next couple of weeks to so people can buy that if they want to. But uh, um, you know, it, it's it's. It's great if anybody wants to purchase that sort of stuff. I know yeah. it supports you and what you're doing. And this is something that sort of started as just a passion, but but people have really taken to it, and that's exciting. Yeah, as you said, yeah, people ask us all the time how they can support us. And uh, 
Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, stuff like that. That's all. Hey, actually, just listen. That's that's enough. But if you feel like you uh want or need to do more, that's it. We are. That's that's how we can do it there. Uh, so squadlocker.com and search Gators Breakdown uh, to get the store uh, there. So, Will, I'll pose the question to you first, and then I'll uh, get the fan reaction first. Uh, but does the outlook change after the first game? Yes, even though it was Charleston Southern, uh, some fans are excited. It was fun. We saw some stuff we haven't seen in a long time in the swamp, but does your outlook change after game one? No, not at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, I picked the game to be 52 to six Florida turned out to be 53 to six. Uh, Bill didn't like that. I was a point off. He pointed that out on Twitter. Um, but, uh, <laughs> You know, my daughter told me the same thing, too. She was disappointed I didn't pick it right on. But, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I think one of the things, I think people sort of look at it and say, hey, Florida could have put up 70 if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but you sort of know that going in. Um, the other thing is Charleston Southern is not really a normal cupcake. So I went back and looked over the last four years. The number of points they've gotten from the 24-7 service is 66 over four years. So that's typically around a ranking of 200th is, is where they've been. If you look at teams like UAB that we played last year, they had 274 total points, so four times the amount as, as, as Charleston Southern, and they were, uh, you know, they only had two years because UAB had to restart their program. UMass was 454, North Texas was 447, New Mexico State was 387, and FAU was 503. So New Mexico State, the team that McIlwain destroyed in his first game was, you know, almost six times more talented than this Charleston Southern team. And, you know, I, I think that gap means less and less as it gets bigger and bigger, like, mm. you know, cause Florida's up around a thousand points. And so, you know, what's the difference between 700 and 900? Well, I mean, it, it, it's a difference though. And I, I think this is exactly what we should have expected. That doesn't mean it's a negative thing to say Florida played really, really well. It just means that you, if you're gonna if you're gonna react to this, then you got to say, um, you know, Georgia's never going to give up a point because they won 45 nothing over Austin P. Um, it's really sort of the same thing. I think what you do is you say this is a step. You look at it and you see that the process that the coaches are putting in place is taking hold in some respects. And the question is, will those things be able to hold as the uh, as the season progresses? So you know, maybe I change my tune if they come out and have two penalties against Kentucky and put up 45. But as of right now, I, I think this is something where you look at it and say it's a very, very good start. We learned a little bit about the team, um, but it's really kind of what we should have expected against Charleston Southern, and and it's great that they came out and did that. I mean, if it had been 33 to nothing, we'd be sounding the alarm bells. So, um, Or if it had been 33 to 20 or something, we'd be sounding the alarm bells. We're not doing that. But no, it didn't really change my outlook on the season. I think the uh, the real... You know, we're going to learn something about this team every week. We'll learn something. We learned something against Car- Charleston Southern. I think we'll learn something much more significant against Kentucky. Yeah, I'll probably be asking the same question this time next week as well. So, <laughs> hey, well, if you're asking that question, then it means they won the game. So I'm happy with that. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I'll, I'll probably ask it if they lose to the. So we'll see. <laughs> All right, so uh, the poll results right now, they'll be up for another few hours. Uh, but out of 1,119 votes, uh, 67% of fans out there say yes, that uh, their outlook has changed on the 2018 season. So 67% yes, 33% no. A few, uh, I got a good bit of reads here. I'll try and get through most of them here. But uh, S. Ford, uh, he says, I, I chose no, but I see the team going eight and four this year at best. Uh, losses to LSU, Mississippi State, Georgia, FSU, 
best part is that I think this season is going to be more fun than I originally thought. If we were, if we're competitive, even in our losses while showing improvement, then I'm a happy Gator. Uh, well, that is kind of, you know, true there. I think uh, for the first time it was fun. I think that was uh, n- another keyword. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of keywords. I think, you know, progress, fun, uh, expectations, you know, all that, all that stuff thrown in there. Uh, it's kind of, you know, hallmarks of this season. Uh, but it, it, uh, that, that may be one point of, you know, positivity. I think we can point to is that maybe it will be uh, a lot more fun this season. Yeah, well, I mean, the tempo made it a lot more fun. That first half was fun to watch. The second half was kind of plodding, and that was partly because it had slowed down so much. Now, again, they were trying to take the wind out of the sails. They weren't really trying to lay it on. I mean, they they, they weren't going they weren't going after seventy. That's for sure. But uh, you know, the jump pass, the shovel pass, mm-hmm. um, all those sorts of things that were just sort of an ode to a to an era that has passed. Um, you know, was was nice to see just from a fun standpoint. Yeah, Mullen and said Brian Johnson is the one who called the uh, quarterbacks coach. Brian Johnson is the one that called the jump pass. So that's a kind of neat insight there. <laughs> I mean, he, wasn't, he wasn't even here for it. So, uh, you know, he, he he must know what it means. He's probably yeah. been asked about it 45 <laughs> times during the offseason, decided that was a way to get the fan base on his side. But, you know, the funny part is, is as long as they keep winning, they're not going to need any of that stuff to get a to get anybody on their side. I do think, though, it's an interesting data point for the opposing team. Opposing teams are going to have to prepare for that down in the red zone now, and they know they're going to have to prepare for it down in the red zone. Um, it is interesting that they saved it originally for LSU in a really big game um, You know, a few years ago. I, I am curious as to whether it was a strategic mistake to reveal they were going to do that, because one of these days they're going to be down the red zone. About, he was asked about that. Uh, oh. the uh, and he said, it's not a big deal. He says that basically what you said, teams are going to have to prepare for it. They're still going to have to prepare for Felipe Franks uh, running the ball uh, and, and the play action off of it. So uh, Mullen didn't seem uh, too concerned at all that they revealed it versus Charleston Southern. Well, there you go. Yep, yep. Uh, Josh Emery, MMA Josh, he goes, I went with no. I'm not sure my outlook has changed as far as wins and losses. Offensive line was terrible. However, I saw more progress than expected, which changes my outlook on how competitive we'll be. I'm interested to see where we are by LSU. So, uh, Josh, they're waiting, not, you know, I've been really waiting for Kentucky. He's waiting for a few more games. And, Will, you've pointed out that, that key game uh, with LSU and how much it means to Gators and, and seasons past. Uh, they're coming off a big win uh, versus Miami. But, um, you know, just another another look here of, uh, how maybe maybe the Gators will be more competitive than people thought they would be. Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know that – I think Florida's going to be competitive in just about every game this year, except for maybe a couple. And even in those games, they'll probably be more competitive than they were last year. Um, you know, it, the – the key stretch is going to be that road game in Tennessee and the road game at Mississippi state. Mm-hmm. Cause if, if, if they're good enough to win those games, then even the games that they are probably are supposed to lose. And I think based on what we saw last night against, uh, against Miami, you would say that LSU, at least at this point would be favored. Florida state will be favored and Georgia will be favored. But you know, if, if they can, if, if they can keep things close against Tennessee and Mississippi state and pull those out, then obviously it's going to be a very good season. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a hard. I think it's hard to draw a ton from the Charleston Southern game, other than it was a blast to watch. Yeah, that kind of goes to the next tweet here from Ben, ben Walbright. Uh, I said yes because I thought it would take a longer to make Florida's offense fun to watch. I trusted Mullen, but didn't trust the quarterbacks. Uh, there's a lot of improvement to be made. Nobody's predicting playoff appearance, but I expect to see some swagger in 2018. 
Yeah, it'll be, I mean, it, it It was nice to see that the players were having a good time and that they, you could actually see the confidence building in Franks in that second quarter. Um, there were some things in the mm-hmm. first quarter where he was pretty tentative. They only scored 10 points. Um, the tempo sort of hid, I think, some of the things that, that we would have been mad about last year. Um, you know, a few, a few balls thrown into traffic where maybe somebody else was open, the, the offensive line not necessarily opening out plays for the running back, so they were forced in some third and seventh, third and eights, things like that. Um, you know, in that second quarter, they just decided to put it on Frank's back, and he came through. I'll tell you one thing, I'm definitely not used to tweeting through a faster-paced offense. I couldn't hardly keep up. <laughs> <laughs> I had to rewind a couple of times, buddy. Uh, here's going to be your favorite Twitter name of the day, um, uh, Will. Area Gambler Taybang. So, uh, there we go. <laughs> I was gonna say, is, is that your uh, is that your burner account there, Dave? <laughs> uh, he says the uh, the last time we played an FCS team was the week after Muschamp was fired in 2014. We beat them 52 to three, and Treon and Driscoll combined for five touchdowns and no interceptions. Destroying a glorified high school team doesn't does nothing to move the needle off of projected seven and nine wins for me. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all sort of saying the same thing, right? Is that yeah. it's, we're really, really happy that this is what, that this is what it looked like. There's no real criticism to go around though. The more you look at it, the more people are starting to point at the offensive line. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know, you, you look at it and say, it's one data point. It's a data point against a team that was overmatched, but it's exactly what the team needed to do. Yep. Uh, we'll just stop me here. If uh, anything catches your ear uh, as we go through these next few here, um, uh, Matthew at uh, AVI uh, at, Matthew or no Matthew? Okay, he made he just made it look weird. Uh, so at Matthew uh, on Twitter, I think this uh, was a huge confidence builder for Franks. We all know he can throw deep, but his intermediate pass game looked improved in this game. He connected with many different receivers, so he didn't have his eyes glued on certain routes. Offensive line still was something to prove. Um, actually, I will stop here, Will, because I do you, me, you, and Bill talk behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, confidence, you know, I do think. Franks could build something off of that. Uh, but also, you, you touched on uh, Franks' accuracy a little bit more because, you know, that's one big component that you take into breaking down quarterbacks. Uh, it did seem he would, you know, as you say, may not have made the right decision every time, but the ball was in a catchable place for the most part. Yeah, the only one that I thought he threw poorly was the one that he overthrew to Massey. Mm-hmm. Now, the caveat there is that the linebacker had gotten to him and had him sort of backpedaling when he threw it. So he threw it off his back foot and he threw it a little bit high. That was the only one I can really remember that he threw really poorly. Um, there was the play where he hit uh, where he had Hammond in the back of the end zone. He was actually sort of drifting away from a blitz, which was really, really nice to see because that's not necessarily something I would have thought to have seen from him last year. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And then another throw in the game where he stepped up out of pressure. Was it when he hit Swain on the pretty deep pass? Yep. Yep. And, and this is really where I think the offensive line and the quarterback play are going to be symbiotic. That if the offensive line struggles, Franks, I don't know whether he's whether he's developed enough at this point to be able to necessarily bail them out on a regular basis. So you get up against a team like Georgia or a team of the front like Mississippi State, and all of a sudden he's got guys in his face. Does that accuracy start? Does that accuracy start to fade? Um, there were some times last year where he felt some ghosts and, uh, and you know left the pocket a little bit early and and some other things that that I think had more to do with the pressure and not really trusting whether his offensive line was going to be able to hold up. 
didn't see that a ton. There were a few plays that I think he left a little bit early, especially early on. There were plays where guys were open, but he decided to pull it down and run. But I think he's been given that permission by Mullen that it's like, hey, on this play, if you don't see it and you see something open up in front of you, go ahead and run. Or if you think you can't quite fit it in, go ahead and run. It seemed like they had given him that uh, they had given him that leeway, uh, but they kept coming back to it. So maybe they <laughs> maybe they did. Um, yeah, one thing I'll kind of speak to about that and, and maybe the pressure, uh, yeah. And, and I'm hoping, um, you know, it's just not, uh, kind of like it was in the past of, Hey, just go run this offense. I think there will be some, a, a, a lot of adjusting by mulling. You know, if there are, if there, if there is more pressure in, in Frank's face or the quarterback's face, uh, then maybe there's an adjustment to the type of play calls that are run and, uh, maybe some, you know, and some confidence and, and getting it figured out on the sideline instead of, Hey, just go out there and run my offense. Yeah. Well, he certainly talked about that a lot. I think that's probably, um, you know, that's probably the direction that he wants to go in terms of fitting the offense around the quarterback that he's got. And it's going to be very different for Emory Jones than it is for Felipe Franks. That's just the way it is. Now, one thing I will say is that there were, there was a lot of repetition. There were a lot of um, screen to one side, screen to the other side, little things built off of those basics um, that you can tell for certain plays where, where Franks clearly is comfortable. And when they put him in those positions where he was comfortable, then he was able to execute. Now, I think they'll probably expand that as the season goes on. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens when they start expanding that portfolio of plays that Franks is being asked to execute and whether his accuracy, um, you know, stays through that. All right. Uh, Preston Fuller at Gator Lake Colt, uh, Gator Laker Colt. Uh, the performance was good, but I won't get my hopes up till we start four and Oh, um, Tennessee may not be a good team, but they have talent. And if the offense looks good against them, I'm satisfied. Uh, at Gator Bay 08, it's not that we scored 53, it's how we scored 53. Offense was humming all night. Franks looked like a very effective quarterback, no indecision or horrible play calls. Um, Rambo for him. Bottom line, as a UF alum, booster, and lifelong Gator fan, watching football was fun again for the first time in many years. That said, I need a similar consistent quarterback play, better offensive line play, and resounding all-around team win against Kentucky to give me hope for the rest of the season. Dustin Mulbright, nope, always trusted Mullen, so the results for Charleston Southern didn't change that. Results may dip as competition gets tougher, but this team will continue to get better every week. Uh, at Gatorgrad 929, outlook hasn't changed, but it was great to see them uh, look like a team that knew what they were supposed to do and then do it. Also, it's great to see Franks playing with some confidence. Um, at TSP Gator 91, no, I have us at 8 4, 9 and 3. We need to get the run game going consistently. Would love to see more of Pierce. He impressed me the most. Franks uh, has the look of a quarterback who's grown and his confidence in his throws. I think 2019 could be special. Uh, brought up a name there, Will. I don't think we talked much about, but uh, hey, my favorite recruit from the class, Damian Pierce, made an appearance. Yeah, and he he really sort of destroyed some people while he was out there, which was oh, good to see. Talk about him. What am I talking about? <laughs> on the kickoff return, but yeah, more more about his his running style. Yeah, I mean, it was really aggressive. It was nice to see, and certainly, I think adds sort of a violence to the running to the back to the to the. To the running backs that isn't there. I think when you look at when you look at Scarlett, it's very much go ahead power running. When you look at Malik Davis, it's sort of uh, you know I don't want to compare him to Barry Sanders, but it's kind of like that in terms of just very light on his feet, being able to make cuts. You don't ever feel like he gets hit um, real directly. And then you got Pierce, who seems to be seeking out the seeking out the contact, which is uh, which is good to see. Sort of see that violence in the running game these days. 
All right. Uh, a couple more here. Uh, Andy AP. He has uh, now been saying, I think France is going to surprise people. I still want to see how they respond to a more talented team, but maintain, I think this team has between seven and 10 wins. Um, Chase Williams at uh, L Swamp. Not yet, but definitely makes me more excited. Offensive line still looks suspect while Frank's look, Frank's look like a totally different quarterback. I still suspect, um, but his, I still suspect his quarterback accuracy uh, may be suspect. Also, offensive line weren't blowing one anyone off the ball. If I see improvement, then my outlook um, will change. Uh, SEC Mike, uh, uh, Michael W. Bratton, a lot of Gator fans. I know he writes for Saturday Down South. He responded to this one as well. I know a lot of Gator fans uh, go back and forth with SEC Mike a lot. So uh, his response to this was, I think it would be tough to say yes at this point, but Franks looked great. Kentucky was minus four in turnovers on Saturday against a team that went eight and four in the regular season in 2017 and won by 15. Destroyed Kentucky, and it's a different story. Uh, and the last one here, Heavy Metal Gator. No, I felt Florida would be much improved team this year. Dan Mullen is that good. The offensive uh, play calling is much more creative. Defense looks tough, and special teams was impressive a recipe for a really good year. So SEC Mike brought it up. A lot of people brought it up. Uh, Wills, a lot of people are, are kind of wait and see until Kentucky uh, this week as they visit the swamp here. Uh, thanks for everybody who sent all the replies there. Sorry, I had to leave some out just for sake of time there. Uh, try to get them all in, but uh, uh, thanks for sending it all in, and I will hit, I'll retweet some of them and hit some more of them, uh, maybe uh, in the episode uh, when we preview Kentucky on Wednesday. Uh, night. So, Will, 31 straight over Kentucky. Uh, Muller was asked about it today uh, at his press conference and says, no added pressure on keeping the streak going. It'll have no effect on this game. Yeah, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Kentucky is is ramped up for this game now because they keep hearing about it over and over and over again, particularly because their media keeps picking them to win just in case they actually win. Then they can say that they were right. Um I, I think the game means something to the Wildcats and so has gotten a little bit chippy over the last couple yeah. of years and and is something that I think Florida is going to have to deal with sort of that um, that enhanced intensity because the intensity of this game was pretty much gone by the time it was 17 to nothing, um, just from the opposition at least. And certainly I think Florida was able to keep that up. Um, and if, 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 if Florida were to lose at home to Kentucky, I think then your expectations of the team change and change significantly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's his first SEC game. It's his first test. Um, Kentucky is not as good a team as Florida, at least from a talent perspective. And quite honestly, not from a quarterback perspective. So, you know, you look yeah. at, you look at Felipe Franks compared to Terry Wilson and Gunnar Hoke and, Franks has way more experience. And if you look at last year's performance, I think he was better than Terry Wilson and Gunnar Oak were last week. So um, certainly Kentucky has some running backs that, that Florida's going to have to contend with and, and the offensive line of the running game. But, um, you know, their leading tacklers were all linebackers last week. Um, they only had a half a sack and one tackle for loss from their defensive line. So it's not as if they're getting a ton of push up front um, against an inferior opponent. And I, I think Florida should win the game. I think if they don't, it's a real problem. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think this is one where Florida, Florida should roll pretty easily um, based on the quarterback matchup. Well, the line is 15 that came out. Uh, so Florida favored by about two touchdowns and Chauncey, hey, Will, you spoke to the uh, chippiness and uh, what may, what we may see on the field. And Chauncey Gardner Johnson did come out and say Monday, it will be 32 straight wins after Saturday. <laughs> well, that's that's uh, that's that's Chauncey's mo. Is he, he does not lack for confidence. That is for sure. Um, and you know, I, I think that that's probably 
I mean, he should feel that way. Yep. Right. Like and he should feel that way. I, and that's what I expect him to say. That's, you know, if he's if he's asked about it, which of course he's going to be, it's it's game week. Uh, I mean, that's what he's supposed to say. It's it's, yeah. it's supposed to be thirty two after Saturday. I mean, I hope he says that about Georgia. I hope he exactly. says that about LSU. I hope he says that about Florida State. Now, obviously, you know, when you get out there and you and you talk and you talk and you talk, and then you get beat, you look you look dumb. Um, but if you talk and you back it up, you look fantastic. So, um, you know, I, I think this is a um, you know, Kentucky is always going to have less talent than Florida overall in the roster. The question is, do they? The question going into the year was, you know, if they find a quarterback and Florida's quarterback struggle, then that would be the area where you would see the advantage. And I think we saw that last year where Steven Johnson was a better quarterback than Felipe Franks last year. And Del Rio sort of had to come in and save the day on the road and just barely did because Kentucky's defense inexplicably decided they weren't going to guard wide receivers every once in a while. That's probably not going to happen this year. I would imagine that uh, Stoops will have that coached out of his team at this point um, and that the, the expectations of the Kentucky defense are that they're, they're going to make Florida earn it. I just think that at this point, the quarterback matchup no longer favors Kentucky the way it did last year. And so, um, you know, to me, that's usually the key. It's it's what we saw in the game, West Virginia versus Tennessee. I think West, you know, I, I was I, on Twitter sort of, Thought I, you know, I said I thought Tennessee would win mainly because I wanted them to be undefeated when Florida played them, and I was going there. <laughs> but you know, Tennessee has more talent than West Virginia overall, but Will Greer is a heck of a lot better than Guarantano, and that's really where that game where that game changed. And the same thing will apply to this game. If Felipe Franks is better than Terry Wilson and Gunnar Hoke, Florida wins. If Felipe Franks struggles and and Wilson and Hoke play well, I think Kentucky wins. And the question is how. How likely likely do you think each scenario is, and uh, and that should dictate who you think wins the game. Fifteen is a lot, though. Fifteen is a lot of points. Yeah, it, it is for uh, you know. It, uh, I have to go back and look and see what it was. I'm, I'm sure there was a line before this past weekend. I don't know of how these last games uh, from from this week uh, played into that. But AJ Rose and Benny Snell each rushed for two touchdowns this past week. Uh, but Gunnar, Gunnar Hoke had to come in and save TJ Wilson. Uh, Gunnar Hook come off the bench and he threw the go-ahead touchdown pass and Kentucky overcame four first half turnovers to beat Central Michigan 35 to 20. Um, and, and their openers, this is from the AP. Uh, for a while, you know, uh, the Chippewas were uh, beating Kentucky from uh, Chippewas from Central Michigan. Uh, look, they were um, up. They built a 17 to 7 second quarter lead over Kentucky, uh, but they've scored all their points off of two interceptions and two fumbles. So Kentucky rallied with two touchdowns over the final four minutes of the half, uh, including a Hope 24 yard scoring touchdown to David Bouvier. Uh, to, uh, they had a 21 20 lead going into halftime and ended up winning 35 to 20. So a lot of turnovers from Kentucky, and that helped them, uh, that helped Central Michigan, you know, take the lead there. So, you know, who knows what the, the story of the game would have been if Kentucky would have held onto the ball. Uh, but uh, it was, you, you know, they still had to be much like Florida against Kentucky last year. They had to bring somebody in off the bench to help them uh, rally the troops and come back and win a game. Uh, they probably should have been winning in the first place. Yeah, well, and those turnovers point to a place where Florida, I guess, can rip this game wide open, right? So um, if you think the quarterback advantage goes to Florida, you think the talent advantage goes to Florida. Well, if the turnover advantage goes to Florida, the game won't even be close. And and that was something that happened a couple of years ago when uh, – when Del Rio hit Callaway deep and, and, 
Matisse Tabor came up and caught caught a caught an interception on a swing pass and and all sorts of different stuff. And and Kentucky turned the ball over early, and that game was over. You know, I think it ended up being forty five to nothing or forty five to seven, something like that. And and there's certainly a path to that game just because of the talent levels and 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 all that sort of stuff. But you know, again, I, I there were warts in the game against Charleston Southern for Franks, and I think there were probably warts for Wilson and Hoke. I haven't had a chance to go look at that game, but based on the fact that there are interceptions and I've seen I'm seeing their yards per attempt being down in the five range. There were certainly warts for those two as well. The question is going to be whose warts are bigger. And and I think, um, you know, I, I think Franks has taken enough of a step forward. And based on last year, um, his his statistics last year are really equivalent or better than Wilson and Hoke put up last week. And Florida is a better defense than Central Michigan. Uh, yeah, and so what uh, Kentucky did, of course, relied on that run game. Snell had touchdowns of touchdown runs of 52 and 11 yards. Uh, to finish with 125 yards rushing on 20 attempts. Rose um, rushed for touchdowns at 55 and four yards. So two big runs, one at 55 and one at 52 from the running backs there. Um, so uh, they dominated on the ground, 299 yards to 118. That's uh, 299 rushing yards for Kentucky. So look, guys, that's going to be their MO coming in here because you know, Terry Wilson was named the starter for this game uh, here on Monday uh, going into the game week. So he struggled against Central Michigan, but he's still going to be the starter. Uh, look, at He sustained a shoulder injury when he threw his second interception uh, of the game. But Stoops is going to hang tough with Terry Wilson, uh, at least for a little while, unless uh, you know, I think another performance comes in and uh, they have to bring Hoke. Maybe might have to bring Hoke off the bench again, Will. Yeah, well, I actually think that bodes well for for Florida. I don't necessarily think Terry Wilson is is a guy who's going to beat you through the air. Now, obviously, he can beat you with his legs. He he, you know, he ran for for thirty eight yards, averaged four yards a rush the other day against Central Michigan. And when you combine that with Snell and Rose and King, and then Lynn Bowden, who also at, at the wide receiver position does get the ball back in sort of the wildcat every once in a while, um, you know, that might be a relatively uh, you know, a relatively potent combination back there with Wilson, but he only completed in the, in the games I could see he only completed about 47% of his passes in high school. So he's not the most accurate guy. So if the defensive backs miss something, if there's a broken coverage, something like that, Wilson's probably not the right guy to get it there. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, so I mean, Florida knows what they have to do. It's the same thing they needed to do against Charleston Southern last week is, is you got to stop the run. And once you stop the run, then the quarterback, at least with Wilson, probably isn't going to have the ability to pick you apart consistently. Um, but again, Florida gave up over five yards of rush to Charleston Southern. Now, again, how much of that is sort of the second half malaise? How much of that is real? Um, I think we'll find that out this week because Kentucky certainly has the talent that if Florida's got holes in the run game or holes setting the edge or doesn't tackle very well, Kentucky will be able to take advantage of it. Um, and, and, and so we'll be able to see that. That's one of the things I think will be a key to the game. One of the things I think people should look for is that yard per carry average for Kentucky. If it gets up over five yards, then I think uh, I think the game will be close. All right, so this is the one East opponent that Dan Mullen knows very well as you know, Kentucky is Mississippi State's permanent crossover in the conference. So Mullen went 8-1 and one versus Kentucky in his time there with an average score of 34-21, to 21, Will. So uh, you know, a lot of experience of Dan Mullen knowing Kentucky. Look, he He's faced him ever since he's been in the SEC, come over as an offensive coordinator, of course, under Urban Meyer, faced Kentucky every year there, uh, faced him every year uh, as a head coach at Mississippi State. And, of course, uh, his first SEC opponent is a, uh, at least opponent from the East that he knows very well. 
Yeah, I think that works both ways, though, right? I mean, Stoops yeah. obviously then knows Mullen and knows his offense, and uh, and you know they they've got quite a bit of experience on on both offense and defense. So on the offensive average for uh, for Kentucky is three point one eight, and the defensive average is three point one eight in terms of seniors. So or in terms of seniority, so a lot of seniors on both the offense and the defense, a lot of returning starters this year for Kentucky, and I think that was sort of the the prevailing thought about Kentucky that they were going to be pretty good because they had all those guys returning. Now, one of the problems that they had is that last year, their point differential suggested they should have been a six win team rather than a seven win team. So they underperformed that a little bit. Um, I, I think the familiarity, I think it's probably overrated in this case. I mean, it's a whole new batch of players at Florida, a whole lot more talent at Florida. So some things that you might be able to do that, you know, require a little bit more, a little bit more speed or something like that, where Mullen might be able to have some wrinkles that he couldn't have at Mississippi State because he didn't quite have the talent level there. Um, but obviously, it's one year of Grantham. I think that's maybe where the lack of familiarity might make a difference. Is, is Stoops has only had to prepare for Grantham one year. Grantham has has gotten to prepare for for Stoops, um, obviously last year as well. But um, it's time at Louisville also. Yeah, and his time at Louisville, and so um, I guess there's some familiarity there as well. But at the end of the day, I think the fact that the blitzes are going to be coming from all over the place, um, I think that's really where the familiarity maybe makes a difference. And and we'll see who wins that battle, whether it's Stoops or whether it's uh, whether it's Grantham. So I'm assuming everybody can get your prediction later this week at Read and Reaction. Yeah, so I'll be I'll be posting up there all the stats and all the reasons why to pick to pick who I'm gonna pick and what the what the score will be and all that sort of stuff and really appreciate everybody supporting the site and uh, you know so we'll have a comprehensive review of the or a preview of the game going up later probably about Wednesday or Thursday. All right, so Will will have a preview there. I'll have uh, Kevin McGuffey. Uh, we had him on last year for the Kentucky game, and he'll uh, be previewing the Kentucky game with me again on Wednesday. So we'll roll that out Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Uh, here on Gators Breakdown. Will, anything else before we sign off on this one? No, oh, man, just really excited. I mean, you know, we've been waiting for football all off season, and, you know, I'm sure we get accused of being negative sometimes, but it's it's more about being critical because we love the program. We want to see it do well. And, 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 you know, there are some things that you can nitpick about the game against Charleston Southern, but at the end of the day, I think it was a positive step forward for the team. I think it was a positive step forward for the program. That's all you can ask is you want to you line up these positives one after another, after another, after another, and Kentucky is one more opportunity to do that. All right. That's Will Miles. As we said, you can find his work at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. I'm your host of Gator Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gator Breakdown.